Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We got a little bit of draft recap this episode. Not too much. It's been over a week. People are kind of settling with their picks. I do want to talk about the Giants' first round draft pick, um, and we could talk about the Jets' first round as well because, honestly, that's the most important. If you like how there's other rounds came up, that's fine too, but I want to talk about what happened in the first round, specifically with the Giants, uh, Aaron Rodgers, whole lot of drama going on with him and the Packers, and I think it's time to take a little bit of a deeper look into the Packers organization because it's not the first time that they've completely disrespected a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. And then the New York Knicks securing a winning record for the first time since 2013 or the 2012-2013 season technically. Uh, but it's been a while. It's been it's been quite a while. So the Knicks are good. Julius Randle's an, an MVP conversation. I think legitimately, not even if you're just like a Knicks fan saying this, I think you really do have to consider him as an MVP candidate at the very least, even though Jokic will probably win it, but we'll get there. Uh, and then Yankees and Mets recap as we do to round out these episodes. But first, I'm recording this on May the 4th, so uh, may the 4th be with you, you know? Huge Star Wars guy. The Bad Batch on Disney Plus actually came out today. I have yet to watch it. Um, I will probably do that tonight, but that's going to be a super cool series. If you watched all the Clone Wars, you know that the Bad Batch were introduced. They're a group of, like, modified clone troopers. They were introduced in the last season of the Clone Wars, and this show takes place after Order 66. Uh, so we're going to get to see more of that fallout and more of that aftermath, much like with the Obi-Wan show that is coming out, you know, at some point, eventually, hopefully. So that show's coming out. Super excited for that. Um, good change of pace from all the Marvel content. We had back-to-back Marvel shows. Now they're putting out one of their new Star Wars shows, and then that'll probably lead into Loki. So super cool and excited for that but let's start with Aaron Rodgers so Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are not on the best of terms um the Packers there's been multiple reports back and forth about what is being said the Packers say hey he can either play for us or go host Jeopardy right Rodgers didn't really like that uh I saw reports that Rodgers is asking for the GM to be fired And the Packers just do things to constantly spite Aaron Rodgers. So not only are they, like, just being straight-up disrespectful to him, um, but they, once again, decided to not draft an offensive player with their first-round draft pick. In a draft class that was loaded with wide receivers, they decided not to take one. They actually took another defensive player, uh, not like offensive line, not defensive line, defensive back. They took Eric Stro- uh, Eric Stokes, who is a defensive back from Georgia. Good player, but like, just, it, it's just, no matter what they did, it was, unless it was an offensive player, it was disrespectful to Aaron Rodgers. Like, you can't, they just don't care. They just don't care. And it makes me think a lot about Brett Favre's later years with the Packers. And, you know, he had some tension with Aaron Rodgers, There's no 
denying that. Like it's it's well recorded that him and Aaron Rodgers weren't like all buddy buddy, and he wasn't like the guy to be mentoring Aaron Rodgers about how to be like the Packers starting quarterback. Uh, and Brett Favre and the Packers organization kind of, you know, he retired and it was a little bit of a sour note. And then it was made even worse by the fact, which I don't really blame the Packers for this, but you know, he wanted to come out of retirement and the Packers were like, tough, tough shit, man. Like we have Aaron Rodgers now. We're fully committed to him. We're not going to just take you back. So that's why he went to the Vikings to spite the Packers, but they are pretty cheap. They don't go out there and sign big money free agents. They don't go for the uh, the big time playmakers in the draft. They don't like try and trade up and get weapons. They they really just kind of stick to where they are in the draft and take who is available. And to add it all up, I think 10 of the last 11 or 9 of the last 10 draft picks that the Packers had, first-round draft picks, have been defensive players. And then, of course, the one offensive player they took was Jordan Love, who is a quarterback. So it's just they have been disrespectful to Aaron Rodgers for a while now, but it is now making its way into the mainstream media and like front-page news. This isn't something that's happening that is no longer happening behind closed doors where they have to like hash it out and talk about it. No, this is something that is very much public and that people are very much aware of. Um, I saw reports that the, you know, Adam, Adam Scheffner is the guy who broke it first. His report was that Aaron Rodgers has like no intentions of playing for the green Bay Packers. He's that distraught and that upset at this organization that he doesn't even want to play for them. And then that's where the whole, uh, okay, he can play quarterback for us or he can go host Jeopardy came from. And then Rodgers asks for the GM to be fired. They say they have no intentions of trading Aaron Rodgers, which I don't blame them. Obviously, he's very, very, very good. But it, it is, and then the, you see trade destinations. Rodgers listed like Denver, Las Vegas, and the Giants as his three trade destinations, all of which I don't know what those teams give up to acquire someone like Aaron Rodgers. Not that the Packers are going to trade him because I really do believe that they won't. But even if they were willing to trade him, like what do you give up for him? You know, you. I think the the baseline is Matt Stafford, a couple firsts and like a third, but that's that's like the basement. You know, you're not going to get that for Aaron Rodgers. Or you're not going to get Aaron Rodgers for that. You need to you need to up that up. You need to boost those numbers, man. Like that this whole situation is just really poorly handled by the Packers. It has been for years. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers just won MVP probably didn't put help the Packers or put them in the best position because it seems like the quicker they can move on from Aaron Rodgers, the better. But the fact that he just won MVP, like you're not trading the reigning MVP. It's just not happening. You're going to put him in there. He's going to go back under center and he's going to attempt to play football for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, he will he will attempt it. He will be very good at it because he's a very good football player. But uh, to say he'd enjoy it, I, I don't think so. You know, it, it, it sucks to see this. 
But you have to look at the Packers because this is the second quarterback in the row that towards the end of their career, even though they were on pace to be a first battle Hall of Famer and had won playoff games and had won Super Bowls, this is the second time that they've kind of disrespected a quarterback towards the end of his career. And Brett Favre, I think, had... Aaron Rodgers in the beginning of his career had weapons, but Brett Favre definitely had more weapons than Aaron Rodgers ever did, um, in my opinion. However, to disrespect the last two quarterbacks that you've had play the last 30 years of Packer football, like, they have been blessed with three quarterbacks that have played, like, 95% of their entire games in franchise history. Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers. I would assume I don't know if 95% is correct, but I'm that's probably the ballpark. You know, they they have not had too many quarterbacks in between all those guys. I mean, Favre and Rodgers were back to back, but before Favre, it's like you're not you're not having that many quarterbacks for the Green Bay Packers. It's like the Pittsburgh Steelers with head coaches. They've had like had like four head coaches their entire tenure, which is insane. So th- this is like one of those things where you're like, can at this point it doesn't seem like it's it's fixable, you know? It it kind of seems like we're we're currently watching this bridge burn down to the ground. Um and. I really don't know if there's anyone to blame other than the Packers front office. They have repeatedly gone out there and shown Aaron Rodgers that they do not care about getting him weapons. They don't sign anyone. They don't trade for anyone. They don't draft anyone to help this aging quarterback, even though he just won the MVP. I understand that. That doesn't diminish the fact that he's an aging quarterback. Get him weapons. I mean, they have Devontae Adams, so don't get me wrong. I don't want to be disrespectful. Devontae Adams is very, very, very good. And this last year, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams abused defenses. But you need something more, right? Like, I understand that their offense kind of had a little bit of a rejuvenating year. Aaron Jones is good. He's a good running back. Um, They re-signed him. They have Devontae Adams. But you just... Just because something is good doesn't mean you can make it better. Now, this is kind of a little bit of a stretch here, but the Giants and what they did in the draft, they take a wide receiver, even though they just signed Galladay, even though they signed Kyle Rudolph. They have Evan Ingram, who I don't really like, but he's still there. Saquon Barkley, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard. Like, this is a, with the addition of Galladay and Rudolph, that's a good offense. But they have a young quarterback who they want to succeed. So they surround him with weapons. They were going to draft Devontae Smith. I'm getting ahead of myself now. That didn't work out. So now they draft uh, Tony, the wide receiver from Florida, Kadarius Tony, and add to the offense. Like they had no intentions of taking any other position other than wide receiver. They wanted an offensive weapon for Daniel Jones. Why do the Packers not show that kind of urgency with Aaron Rodgers yes he's the league MVP yes he's a first battle hall of fame quarterback yes he's a Super Bowl winner but that doesn't mean you can just ignore him just because you have a couple of good pieces around him you know like the more the better 
and to continuously disrespect him with defensive players who, quite frankly, not many of them worked out. You have Jordan Love, who's a work in progress. Like, this isn't some phenomenal quarterback that you could pass up. This is like a second or third round talent that you took in the first round. He won't be playing for another three years. That's if Rodgers decides to stay in Green Bay. And then there's whole contract negotiations. It's it's a mess. It is just flat out a mess in Green Bay between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if they can fix it. I don't I don't know how they can fix it, and I don't know if they can fix it. It's a huge question mark in the league right now. NFL draft. You know who got picked by who. You know who your favorite teams took. But I got some notes. Okay? What the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles did to the New York Giants is nothing short of conspiracy. <laughs> and if you're them, if you're those teams, if you're the, if you're a fan of the Cowboys and you're the fan of the Eagles, first of all, God bless you. you your team's... Stink, your franchises stink, they're pathetic, and I hate them. Um, second of all, you got to be happy. I mean, they just pulled the wool over the Giants' eyes, jumped them, beat them up, and then left them on the curb. Like, they... Conspiracy. Huge conspiracy. Uh, the Giants... And this is why I'm in the I'm in the camp of... Like, do I like knowing who the Giants are looking at to draft? Yes, of course. But you don't know who the, the Cowboys are taking at number 10. All the mock drafts I saw, I, I, a handful of them said Patrick Sertan. He goes off the board. Denver takes him. Okay, fine. So who are the Cowboys going to take? I don't even, I, I haven't seen any reports. You know, I'm not really on Eagles Twitter or anything like that. I don't follow any of the beat writers. All right. So I don't know. If there were many mock drafts out there or many speculations um, from like head coaches, GMs, whatever, quotes that you can take to hint at who the Eagles would have taken at number 12. Everyone knows who the Giants are taking. Devontae Smith goes on ESPN, first take. They're asking him about the Giants. He goes to the Knicks game. He's wearing a Yankee hat. Like, uh, Gettleman comes out, there's reports saying, you know, they're going to take either Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, who's ever there. Waddle went sixth to the Dolphins, of course, so it's like, okay, the Giants are probably going to take Devontae Smith. We'll take the Heisman winner at 11. Sure. Why not? The Eagles trade up with the Cowboys, get the 10th pick, and they take Devontae Smith. And I don't know if I'm kind of reading into it here, but Devontae Smith... When he, when the Eagles traded him and it was pretty much, it was inevitable that he was going to be a Philadelphia Eagle, the kid didn't really look too happy. And I mean, why would you, right? You think you're going to New York and you end up in Philadelphia. That's horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible situation to be in. I feel for the kid. I really do. Um, You know, I kind of wanted a defensive player. I wanted Micah Parsons, which makes this whole situation that much worse. (laughs) But... I was sold. I was selling myself. I had sold myself on Devontae Smith. Um, And I wanted him to be a part of the Giants offense. And the Eagles trading up, conspiring with the Cowboys to trade up and take him was awful. So what do the Giants do at 11? They trade back. Gettleman has, this was a huge thing coming into the draft. Gettleman's never traded down. And... Of course, this is the draft. 
The, the Giants get bamboozled by the Eagles and Cowboys. The Eagles snake Devontae Smith from the Giants. So the Giants trade back. They get a nice haul from the Bears. Uh, pick swap this year, their first next year. And I think they got like a fourth also next year or a third for next year. Uh, they trade up or they trade down with the Bears. Bears take Justin Fields. It's a win-win for both teams in my opinion. And at pick number 12, the Cowboys take Micah Parsons. So coming into this draft... I wanted the Giants to take... My top two guys were Devontae Smith and Micah Parsons. Not only do the Giants not get those guys, but the teams they went to are two of... They're the two most hated teams in my heart. The Cowboys get Micah Parsons, another linebacker, of course. Um, We'll see if this guy stays healthy through his time in a Cowboy uniform. And the Eagles get Devontae Smith. Two electric playmakers on their respective ends of the football and the Giants now have to deal with that so not entirely happy seems like a doomsday scenario really Um, I want two guys coming into the draft and they both not only don't go to the Giants but they go to the Cowboys and Eagles that's like a doomsday scenario if you drew it up for me Um, however the Giants drop back to pick number 20 and they select Kadarius Tony, who is a wide receiver from Florida. Very much gives off Curtis Samuel vibes. And uh, also like Debo Samuel vibes, right? In the backfield, pitches in the backfield, reverses, can do some punt returning. Um, big screens, long threat. He's uh, He's fast, quick. Very, very shifty. He's like a human joystick. So I really like this pick. I thought it was good value. Clearly, the Giants had a game plan coming into this draft. Regardless of what anyone was saying outside of it, whatever. Gettleman, Judge, and the Giants front office had a plan coming into the draft. And that was draft a weapon for Daniel Jones coming into this season. Doesn't matter that they signed Galladay. Doesn't matter that they signed Kyle Rudolph. It doesn't matter that Saquon's back. It doesn't matter. Get another weapon. Get another receiver for Daniel Jones. That was their plan, and they succeeded. When their first two guys on their draft board, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, were out, they traded back. They got good value from the Bears, who in in most in, in the most likely scenario, the Bears aren't very good this year. Justin Fields, he might be great, all that, awesome, whatever. But the Bears themselves probably won't be that good this year. I expect them not to be that good, especially with a rookie quarterback and all that. You're still going to have, you, however good you think Justin Fields is going to be coming into this league, he's still going to go through some rookie struggles, right? Don't expect him to just immediately make the Bears the best team in the in the NFC North because he's still got Aaron Rodgers. The Vikings finished strong last year, even though they didn't make the playoffs. New year for them. Um, and then you have the Lions, who who really cares about them. They're a work in progress. Although they did snag Penny Sewell, who dropped all the way, I think it was to number seven to the Lions, which was a godsend to them. Obviously, I don't think they expected uh, Sewell to be there. But he was. The Giants had a plan. And it was to get a wide receiver for Daniel Jones. And it worked out. 
So you get a first round, you get the Bears first round pick next year, which could possibly be, I think bare minimum, it's a top 15 pick, could very well be a top five pick, um, which would be great. So you have that going, you have Tony, who is uh, just the definition of a playmaker. I think it was a good draft. And then all in all, just the, the subsequent picks for the Giants, I think it was great. Uh... As for the other New York team, the Jets, they take Zach Wilson number two overall. Everyone pretty much expected this. This was not a surprise. And then they make a little bit of a surprise and they trade up. I think they had the 23rd pick in the draft originally. Um, The second and the 23rd. They trade back up to number 14. They trade with the Vikings and they take Elijah Vera Tucker who is a guard from USC. So they take a rookie quarterback, and they take one of the better defense, uh, offensive linemen in the entire draft. I think Joe Douglas did a great job. Um, I think it was the past, like, 10 drafts, the New York Jets have not selected an offensive lineman in the first round. And the past two years, they selected an offensive lineman in the first round. Since AKA since Joe Douglas has taken over as GM. I think he's doing a fine job as the GM for the Jets so far. Um, they got a new quarterback. They draft a good offensive lineman, build that. Uh, they have, you know, Makai Becton from last year, Elijah Vera Tucker, both high-end, uh, regard as high-end offensive linemen in the draft. And then you get Zach Wilson, who, of course, could very well be a question mark. You don't know how good he's going to be. there. He certainly is a question mark, like I said, but... He has talent. He has good arm, natural arm talent, uh, decent footwork. You just got to see how he translates to the NFL because he did. I mean, as good as he was in BYU, like they weren't a fan, they weren't an unbelievably like awesome team. You know, BYU was they were good, but they weren't you know top ten, top five. As for where the other quarterbacks went in the draft. Trevor Lawrence went one, of course. Trey Lance went number three overall to the Niners. A lot of talk that was going to be Mac Jones. It ended up being Trey Lance, which I think was the correct decision for the 49ers. Kyle Pitts went to Atlanta. Cincinnati. I want to talk about Cincinnati. A lot of teams did this, by the way. There was like three teams, which honestly is a lot because I haven't really seen it before. Three teams did what Cincinnati did. Cincinnati has a very good quarterback in Joe Burrow. He's very young, but he he was good when he was playing last year. Tore everything in his knee. And before he tore everything in his knee, he was constantly getting hounded behind the line of scrimmage. He was getting hit for losses. Like, the offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals was not good. In most scenarios, I think... Most people, the logical the logical pick here at number five was to take Penny Sewell. Regarded as the best offensive lineman in the entire draft by like 99% of people. Instead, they take Jamar Chase, who sat out last year, but the year before that, he was playing at LSU with, guess who? Joe Burrow, of course. So Burrow... Probably went to the you know the front office and was like, take my boy. Like we need wep- we need more weapons. He can't hurt. He's amazing. Let's do it. And uh the Bengals obliged. They listened. 
was it the smart decision at number five? I don't think so. I think they should have went offensive line to help Joe Burrow, but I guess they'll address that somewhere else. I don't know if they took any other offensive linemen in the draft. Um, I hope they did. That's all I have to say. And the Dolphins did it immediately with the next pick, Jalen Waddell, wide receiver from Alabama. He played with Tua in college, and, you know, number six here for the Dolphins, this is a luxury pick. Uh, This was from the Texans. They traded down, then back up. So they had the draft capital to be in this position, so they took a weapon for Tua to get. Someone he's familiar with, Jalen Waddell. Good pick for them. Let's just round out the rest of the draft. I know I said people have seen it, but I'm going to do it anyway. J.C. Horn to the Panthers. Love that pick. Patrick Sertan to the Broncos. Devontae Smith to the Eagles. Justin Field, Bears. Micah Parson, Cowboys. Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle from Northwestern to the Chargers. Love it. Get Herbie some protection. Jets, Elijah Vera Tucker. Patriots, Mac Jones. Mac Jones, a lot of people have been shitting on him. And I, feel, I do feel bad a little bit. Um, this is a guy who has been criticized a lot coming into this draft. Like, draft the stock just being pounded on. But at the same time, the media kind of manipulated him. They made this kid, and a lot of people think he was going to go top five in this draft. Regardless if everyone thought that was the right decision, it was made to believe that that was going to happen. Um, He's at the draft, and he's sliding. He's sliding hard. He's the last one of these guys to get picked. And wouldn't you know it, Lady Luck strikes Mac Jones because he falls all the way to 15 to the New England Patriots. Imagine being so angry, so upset, so embarrassed that you're sli- you're sitting in the green room, you're sliding in this draft, all the other quarterbacks are off the board, who the hell's going to take you? And you make it all the way to 15th to the New England Patriots. It's scripted, bro. Like, it's so scripted. Uh, the Cardinals take Zayvon Collins, who's another, like, Isaiah Simmons, hybrid, crazy athlete linebacker. Uh, the Raiders... So the Raiders are idiots. Uh, John Gruden, Mike Mayock, like, I don't know what they're doing. But this entire, this offseason, they trade their entire offensive line, and then they draft an offensive lineman. I, I just don't understand the logic. Like, what are you doing? Why why are you gutting the offensive line and then trading an off, drafting an offensive lineman? It just doesn't make any sense to me. They do things, it feels like they're doing things ass backwards, but the Raiders are just, they make no sense, man. They really don't. Uh, at 18, the Dolphins took Jalen Phillips, who's a defensive end from Miami. So he doesn't have to go anywhere. That's a really good pick for them at 18. Dolphins had an excellent first round and I think a great draft overall. Washington takes Jamin Davis, linebacker from Kentucky. Giants take Kadarius Toney. The Colts take Quiddy Pay, who is someone that I also saw on the Giants board. And when they traded down to 20, I thought it was a real possibility that they were going to take him. But like I said, it was clear that Gettleman and Judge and the Giants front office had a plan to take an offensive playmaker. Tennessee takes Caleb Farley, who probably would have been a top 10 pick if he didn't have back surgery. Uh, Minnesota takes Christian Darasaw. They got good value. They traded back with the Jets, got some draft capital, and were still able to take a good offensive lineman in this draft. Uh, the Steelers take Najee Harris. A lot of people flamed the Steelers for the pick because their offensive line is not good. And they 
you know, how would a running back help this scenario? But they take Najee Harris and they took linemen in the subsequent rounds of this draft. So the Steelers have always drafted really well, uh, at least since I've started watching football. Um, so I, I wasn't, I, I think they know what they're doing, to be honest. Uh, the Jaguars, this is another one of taking your quarterback's friends, you know. They draft Trevor Lawrence number one overall. They take Travis Etienne. I think I said that right. But they take Trevor Lawrence's running back from Clemson. So they go from college to the pros together. Happily ever after. What a nice story. The Browns take Greg Newsom the second. Defensive back from Northwestern. Tremendous pick at number 26. Ravens get a wide receiver with Rashad Bateman. Gets... I mean, he's not huge. He's like six foot and a little. Maybe you want to push him to six one. That's fine. Uh, got you. Got to get Lamar Jackson some more help. It, it, it's mind blowing that no, there aren't any free agent wide receivers that you can go out and get uh, for Lamar Jackson. The Saints take Peyton Turner, who's a defensive end from Houston. Packers, I mentioned earlier, Eric Stokes from Georgia. The Bills take Gregory Rousseau, who's an edge from Miami. The Ravens, who got this pick from the Chiefs in the Orlando Brown trade, they take Jason Owa, who is an edge rusher from Penn State. And with the final pick in the first round, the Bucks take Joe Tryon, 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 uh, who is a lineman from Washington, defensive lineman from Washington. And that's the first round. So I only went over like the mock first rounds last week. Wanted to go over it this week, give some of my thoughts. I do think overall... However, the Giants had a good draft. I think the Jets had a good draft. Dolphins had a good draft. Um, the Browns had a good draft again, which is shocking. They're really turning over the culture in there. They're, their roster is absolutely loaded, by the way. Uh, the Chargers, I think, had a good draft. They also took um, they took the offensive lineman at 13 overall, but they also took, I believe, Asante Samuel with their second-round pick. So uh, they did trade... Who was a king to uh, the Titans, right? So they fill uh, that cornerback spot, Asante Samuel Jr. I can't believe he's already in the league. Makes me feel a little bit old, but whatever. <laughs> um, so it's just some teams off top. I think the Bears trading up to get Justin Fields, good move. Because, I mean, God forbid you're stuck with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles to be your quarterbacks this year. Oh, my God. That would have been horrible. Lions had a good draft. Huge value at number seven with Penny Sewell. And I, I think I said the Jets already too. So uh, just a handful of teams I think that had good drafts off the top of my head. Uh, but that's the NFL draft. If your team didn't draft well, I am sorry. Because it stinks when your team doesn't draft well. Something about Kadarius Tony too, by the way, for you Giants fans out there. If you're listening, Urban Meyer was, quote, heartbroken when Kadarius Tony was taken 20th overall by the Giants because he apparently wanted him. Uh, there is that Florida connection, of course. But he loves Kadarius Tony as a playmaker, as a guy that is versatile on offense. So if you go in and just watch his highlights, he is, like I said, a human joystick. So very, very shifty and uh, explosive. He's electric to watch. So hopefully he can translate that into the NFL. And be if he can be like a Curtis Samuel type of guy, I would love that for the Giants. Because I love Curtis Samuel. Enough about those New York teams, though. 
Because the New York team everyone's talking about is the New York Knicks, the New York Knickerbockers. They have secured their first winning season since the 2012-2013 season. They are 37-28. and 28. They have won, I think, 13 of their last 14 or 14 of their last 15 games. They went on that, you know, 10-game winning streak, and then they lost to the Suns, or they went on a 9-game winning streak and then lost to the Suns. But then, after losing to the Suns, they beat up on the Bulls, they beat up on the Rockets, and then they beat up on the Grizzlies. They played the Nuggets tomorrow night, well, tonight, technically, because it's going to be, this is going to be released Wednesday, so tonight, technically, they play the Nuggets, who are a good team, a playoff team, uh... MVP Jokic, probably, they're going up against. And they have a chance to just keep on rolling, get to 10 games above 500. They are locking down, currently, as we speak, the number four seed in the East. The Hawks are, I think, a game and a half, two games behind the Knicks right now. The Hawks are a game and a half behind the Knicks for the fourth spot. Uh, Philly's at number one. Brooklyn's a game behind them. Milwaukee, three and a half behind Philly. And then you have the Knicks, who are seven games back from the number one spot. But you have the Knicks there, man, who are there. I mean, they are ready to lock down this four seed. The worst they slide, I think, within this next these last few games here in the regular season is to the sixth seed. But to me, there's just no way they, uh, there's the way they're playing, there's just no way that they end up uh, being in the play-in tournament. They have seven games left. Seven tough games. Seven really tough games coming down the stretch here. This is going to what the New York Knicks are made of. This is what's going to prove it right here. They play the Nuggets, the Suns again. Or they, they're actually on a the West Coast road trip, which is even tougher. They play the Nuggets, the Suns, the Clippers, the Lakers, and then they head back home to play the Spurs, the Hornets, and the Celtics for the last three games of the season. So this is a very tough West Coast road trip coming up for the the Knicks. You know, you got the Nuggets who are are banged up. They don't have Jamal Murray, which is obviously a huge blow to them, but they still got Jokic. Michael Porter Jr. has been playing really, really well this year. Like, they still got weapons. Aaron Gordon, that's going to be a tough game. They have a rematch against the Suns, which I think they could win. They could win against the Suns. Uh, the Clippers is going to be a really tough game. The Lakers, depending on their health, I don't know if LeBron's, you know, LeBron's out, I think, again tonight or something like that. Or Anthony Davis, some, he got tweaked up a little bit after returning back um, from his injury. Depending on the Lakers, um, I think the Lakers might, they're going to be playing for something to prove there in the last few games of the season. Because right now, they're in jeopardy of having to do the play-in tournament, which, of course, LeBron does not want to have to play those extra games. That would be catastrophic, honestly, for the Lakers to have to do that. And then you have the Spurs, who they can beat, the Hornets, who they can beat, and the Celtics, who they can beat. So this, and you remember the last time they played the Celtics, that's, they just barely lost, but that's what that was the beginning of that win streak that the Knicks had, was the last time they played the Celtics. Um, so a tough stretch of games to end out the season here for the Knicks. But as it stands, they have the four seed. They're a game and a half up on the Hawks. Miami is the sixth seed. They're a game up on Boston, who is currently in the play-in tournament. 
as it stands right now, it's the playing tournament, which is seeds 7 to 10, is Boston, Charlotte, Indiana, and Washington. Uh, I hate that. I hate this shit, man. I, I hate that. I mean, I think it's so dumb. It's so, so, so dumb. I like it in the hypothetical sense that it gives teams with an outside shot to come in and be like a Cinderella story. But for the league, if it backfires and teams like the Lakers fall into the playing tournament and get eliminated, the Celtics are in the playing tournament and get eliminated, if that is the result of your give everyone more of a shot to be in the playoffs expansion playing tournament that the Celtics and Lakers, the two most storied franchises in the entire sport, get eliminated because of it, you will never see it happen again. Specifically the Lakers. If LeBron goes into the playing tournament and say he gets hurt again and he can't play, whatever, like, or if he does play and they somehow get upset, you will not only is he going to be ridiculed, that's a different story, but you will never see that format happen again. It'll be cast cast it away, cast it aside immediately. Even if I think even if the Celtics ha- if that happens with the Celtics, will I be happy? Yes, absolutely. But you can't deny that the Celtics missing the playoffs because of some stupid new playing tournament that would be catastrophic to the league. Like that is not something they really need right now. Viewership is already down, interest in the league is already down mostly because Teams score a billion points a night, and it's like kind of boring to watch because no one plays good competitive defense until the playoffs. So, with all that already happening, if you lose two of the most storied franchises because of your new stupid playing tournament because you wanted more people to be involved or more teams to be involved, that's that spells catastrophe. Uh, so, I said Boston, Charlotte, Indiana, Washington for the playing tournament in the East, and in the West, right now, you have Utah who is only a half game up on Phoenix for the number one seed in not only basketball, but the entire NBA. Uh, Denver is the three seed, or Denver and the Clippers are tied for the three seed, and they're four games back of the Utah Jazz, and the Lakers slid pretty hard in LeBron and AD's absence, but they were still able to be, I said they might be around like the six, seven seed. They still have maintained the five seed, but they're 10 games back of Utah now. Before LeBron went down, and even disregarding the Anthony Davis injury, before LeBron went down, they were about, I think, four, four and a half games back of Utah. Now they're 10 games back. They're the five seed. They're only a half game up on Dallas for that five seed. So Dallas is the sixth seed. They're a half game back. Portland is only a game back of the seventh seed. And then you got Golden State, Memphis, and San Antonio who are pretty much locks to be in those 8, 9, and 10 seed for the play-in tournament. Portland's trying to fight their way in. They're a half game back of Dallas for the 6th seed and only a game back of Los Angeles. So Los Angeles, Dallas, and Portland are all in... I'm saying jeopardy because it's a negative. You don't want to be in the play-in tournament. Is it like, okay, if you are, sure, for you know Memphis, Golden State, and San Antonio it is because they're not good teams and they never expected to make the playoffs. So, well, I mean, they, they'll tell you they expected to make the playoffs, but I never expected these teams to make the playoffs. So for them to be in it, you're like, okay, whatever. Like these are out, outside shot teams trying to, you know, make it into the playoffs. And I say I didn't expect Golden State to make the playoffs post Clay Thompson injury, obviously. So those teams you expect to be in there, okay, fine. 
Portland, Dallas, and Los Angeles, they don't want to be in the play-in tournament. LeBron said whoever made the play-in tournament should be fired. Mark Cuban, Luka Doncic, they have come out repeatedly and say it is a, in retrospect, it is a dumb idea. We should have never have done this. Mark Cuban said that because the owners, I think, made all of that and stuff. Uh, Luka Doncic hated it. He was like, this is stupid. I don't know why we're having it. And now you got Portland. So Portland is trying to fight in. And then you got Dallas and Los Angeles trying to kick them away from nipping at their heels, Portland, and keep them in that seventh seed. So overall, um, in both conferences, things are getting very, very tight to round out the season. Um, to circle back to the Knicks, Julius Randle should be in some serious MVP contention. If the Knicks win like five of the next seven games to round out the season, they would have won like 23 of their last 25 games or some shit like that. I don't know if my math adds up, but they would have won like 95% of their games to end out the season. I think it would be like 21 or 22 of their last 25 games if they win the last five, five of their last seven games here to round out the season. That's a great run for any team, let alone the New York Knicks. And Julius Randle, who's putting up like 30, 10, and 7 a night going out there and balling his fucking ass off, being an absolute unit and dominant on both ends of the floor. You know, obviously he's not like a defensive juggernaut, but he's playing good enough defense and he's unstoppable on the offensive end of the floor. RJ Barrett's playing fantastic. Like this entire team is just so much fun to watch. And if you're the Knicks... Or if you're like just people who vote in the NBA, like Julius Randle has to get some MVP recognition. He has to get at least like a couple of votes, steal some votes away from the guy who eventually wins. Uh, some type of recognition. He's been phenomenal, specifically the past like two months of the season. He has been like unbelievable. Multiple triple doubles. Multiple 40 and 10, 40 and 15 games. Like, he's just been sensational. Mets and Yankees to wrap up the show as we do. First with the Mets. So the Mets, they put up some runs the past few games. Five, eight, and five, I think it was, in the past three games. But before that, couldn't score runs to save their lives. They had, like, I think uh, they put up one run. In 18 innings against the Red Sox, uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't good. They they got dominated by Boston before playing. Uh, I think it was either I think they went into Philly after Boston. Still didn't put up runs until like the second game of that series. But they've been struggling to put up runs. But even though they just started breaking out, they did fire their hitting coaches. So the Mets fired uh, Chili Davis and Tom Slater both of whom were the hitting coach, their hitting coaches for the Mets. Both of them were canned. So clearly Steve Cohen's not messing around, even though I think this move would have made sense like a week ago. To see it happen after you see the Mets' bats come alive is interesting. Um, you could look at last night in the Cardinals. They put up five runs, but Wainwright did spot them a few. Uh, he hit a batter to walk in a run. He walked in a batter to... Walk in a run, or he had a batter to drive in a run, and he walked a batter, I think, to drive in a run. So he spot them. He spotted them a couple points, uh, <laughs> a couple of uh, runs, I should say. I don't know why I said points. That was gross. 
So it's for them to fire the hitting coaches makes total sense. Um, I thought the Yankees should have fired Marcus Timms, but they have been on fire. Uh, but before I get to the Yankees, Francisco Lindor, at what point do you start panicking? Like, obviously, this is New York, and there's the New York media, and New York fans have always have high expectations, and they have demands when they, you know, pay someone over $350 million. Um, or $340 million, whatever Lindor got. An exorbitant amount. You know, you can't be hitting, like, 150 when you're getting paid over $300 million to, to play baseball. You can't. Um, credit to Lindor. He's still been all smiles. He still seems pretty lighthearted, like Frankie Smiles. Still his usual happy self, so it seems. Um, but this is uncharacteristic of Lindor. Players go through slumps, yes, of course. But for the entirety of the month of April... Francisco Lindor was dog shit. Like, just really, really bad. Slumps last six games. You know, like a week. Two weeks, maybe. For a prolonged slump. But for an entire month, that's a red flag. So, I don't know what's going on with Lindor. I don't know if it's his approach. I don't know if it's mental. If something's physically wrong with him. I hope not, but... He's got to work out of the slump because there are people that are hitting. Conforto was pretty bad in April, but he has been really stepping up the past few weeks. Pete Alonso is starting to come around a bit. Dom Smith, like these are guys. Jeff McNeil, of course, is you know a guy with a very high batting average. Um, these are guys that are expected to hit, and they are now coming around and starting to put the, uh, the bat on the ball. Uh, Francisco Lindor isn't even putting the ball in play. He had he's had some tough breaks, you know. Obviously, one that comes he's he's had a couple of frozen ropes right at people. Uh, but he has struck out multiple times in a game, several times. This is not just like, oh, he's hitting the ball and putting it in play, but it's just right at people. Like there are several instances where he's just not even getting the the bat on the ball. He's hitting 150. Sub Mendoza. Like, you can't be paid 300 plus million dollars and hit below 200. You can't do it. I understand it's still relatively early in the season. Uh, I think there's been, what, 30 games, less than 30 games that the Mets have played so far. But you got, I mean, at some point, something. I, I know the whole adage is like, good hitters will start to hit eventually, right? Can't keep them down forever. Lindor's a good hitter, but an entire month, like I said, it's very uncharacteristic of Lindor for to, for an entire month to go by and him still not playing well. He's got to change something. His approach, do some, like, yoga to de-stress himself. I don't freaking know. <laughs> like, I'm sure he's done things in the past to get him out of a slump, and uh, they might not be working. I, I just don't know why this is happening to Francisco Lindor. It is certainly alarming. You can't sit here and say it's not a big deal because an entire month has gone by and there has been really no sign of improvement. 
from him. From other Mets, yeah. Good change. Like, Conforto, again, like I said, Conforto, Alonzo, Dom Smith. Like, these are guys that were struggling and have picked it up in, over the course of the past couple weeks. Lindor has not. As for the Yankees, everyone has really picked it up for them. It seems like Kyle Higashioka is now the starting catcher for the New York Yankees. Uh, he's been playing a lot recently, and deservingly so. He's a very good defensive catcher, and he has been hitting the ball fairly well. So, I do not uh, disagree with the decision to keep Higashioka in the lineup more frequently than not. But the Yankees, they, uh, they've had a good stretch. They have had a good stretch. They've brought themselves back up from the trenches. They are 500 team, 14 and 14. Uh, they swept the Tigers. They took two of three from the Orioles, should have swept the Orioles, but lost in extra innings. Or they actually split with the Orioles. It was four-game series, my apologies, which, not great. They took three of four from the Indians, so they have just been on an, a nice little roll here, uh, dating back to April like 20th or whatever it was, April 22nd. Two, uh, three of four from the Indians, two of four from the Orioles, which you, you would have liked to see them take that series, not split it. Uh, and then they sweep the Tigers. The first game against the Tigers, their bats explode, 10 runs. They win 10-0 against the Tigers. Garrett Cole was masterful. Uh, and then back-to-back games against the Tigers in which they win without hitting a home run. Previously, they were 1-7, and or I think maybe 0-7, in games in which they did not hit a home run. Uh, and that was something I was saying. They can't win a game without hitting a home run. They do it in back-to-back games against the Tigers, including the final game of the series in which Kluber had his best start of the year. They went 2-0. The game before that, they went 6-4. But in the 10-0 game, bats really came alive. Giancarlo Stanton has, I think, uh, a nine-game hitting streak, eight-game hitting streak. He's been phenomenal since he's switched to the two-hole. They switched Judge and Stanton. Judge bats third now, Stanton bats second. Stanton has excelled in the two-hole. Um, and I believe he batted second when he won his MVP with the Marlins. So he's comfortable in that spot. It's a good place to have him in the lineup because, quite honestly, if you're looking at Aaron Judge and Stanton and who you'd rather face, I'd rather face Stanton. Judge, uh, a couple days ago, I think the uh, he had bad last game against the Tigers. Um, but he was hitting like 290, he has seven homers, 15 RBIs, whatever it is. Like, he's playing well. Aaron Judge is playing well. Um, he had five RBIs in that 10 nothing blowout of the Tigers. He hit a grand slam and a two-run homer, I think. So, oh no, he hit a solo home run and a grand slam. Excuse me. Both bombs. Grand slam was opposite field, upper deck, and uh, the solo home run was a straight shot to dead center off the batter's eye. So, Judge has been swinging it really well. Giancarlo Stanton has been He's, again, on an eight, nine-game hitting streak, whatever it is, but even the balls that he's hitting on the ground, he is squaring up hard. Um, I remember Kay and David Cohn were talking about, uh, they were going goo-goo-gaga over Stanton because he hit a ground ball up the middle, but the exit velocity was like 118 miles an hour off the bat. So if that ball's hit 108 miles an hour, 110 miles an hour, 
the shortstop probably comes over and makes that play. But because he hits it so hard, ground balls that generally might be ground outs sneak through holes for base hits. So that's when you know Stanton is at his best. He's hitting the ball hard, even if it's on the ground, and he's getting base hits that way. He's not just hitting the long ball uh, or relying on, you know, hitting a piss missile into the gap for a double. He's hitting ground balls for base hits. Great sign for them. Kluber, best outing of his career. Um, They were off yesterday, which is Monday. They're playing tonight, which is Tuesday. I know this is coming out on Wednesday, but they're playing a three-game set against the Astros and then three games against the Nationals, and then they're off again on Monday. Uh, So Yankees are heating up, like I said, back to 500. Thank God. And now there is a uh, grudge match against the Astros. And I hope we beat the brakes off the Astros. I really, really do. I think Cole's lined up to pitch the third game of this series, I believe. He is. The third game of the series, which is going to be a Thursday 1 o'clock game. Um, Him and Lance McCullers will be pitching that game. But tonight, uh, Tuesday, so when you're listening to this, it's going to be... the game, the game obviously would have been decided, but it's Granky versus Herman tonight, and then Wednesday or Tuesday night, and then Wednesday tonight is uh, Luis Garcia for Houston and Jordan Montgomery. Monty's going for the Yankees, and like I said, the third game of the series is Lance McCullers versus Garrett Cole, which is a a weird one o'clock game. So I'm very much looking forward to the Yankees beating the brakes off the Astros. I really hope they do. Uh, but that game actually did just start. So I think I ended last week saying, I'm going to go watch the Yankees. That's what I'm doing now. Just happens to be good timing, you know? So thank you all for listening to another episode of From My Point of View. As always, I appreciate you, and have a good weekend, and I'll talk to you all next Wednesday. This shit was all I knew. Say something, baby. Say something.